Oh, praise God. And it's about that time again, isn't it? Amen. All right. So welcome to uh, class number 16 of Discipleship Counselor Training Class. Uh, I was thinking about it again today. This, uh, some of you have joined the class after we uh, were underway. This is our 20th year of, um, of doing this class, and I can't think of a, of a group that I would have rather been a part of the 20th year than you guys. Y'all have been so faithful and so committed and, and engaged and not just fun to, to teach, but easy to teach. Um, got any teachers in the room? You know, not everybody's easy to teach. Amen. It's kind of like not everybody's easy to love. You know, you, you got people in your life that are easy to love and then other folks, it's kind of, they put a little more demand on your ability to, uh, to, to, to love and, and love well. And so, um, but you guys have just been a, a pleasure and a joy, and I'm, I'm thankful for you. Um, I've said it before, I'll say it again, you know, during COVID, standing in this room looking at a camera uh, without the feedback and the, and the energy and the life that comes from uh, people in the room, really, really, I've always appreciated folks coming, but it really, uh, even more so, uh, made me appreciate you and, and also all the folks online. We've We've got more people watching online this year than ever before, and that, that part of, of this uh, ministry is, is um, growing uh, in, in amazing ways. Um, our friends and, and family and, and, and uh, folks in sister churches in Kenya, um, they've got a lot of folks getting born again over there who are just jumping straight in uh, to these classes. And when I think about that, I'm like, man, you know, when I got saved, you know, if I, I would have loved to have had something like this to, um, to, to really help me get grounded in, in some key areas in the Word. And so, anyway, my heart's uh, full tonight and, and of a lot of good things, and, and one of those is gratitude for all of you and all of you watching online. So, I'm excited about our subject tonight. We, we are, believe it or not, going to get to the Word of His power tonight. Uh, if we have to stay here to 10 o'clock, but, but anyway, um, before we do any of that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. And Father, it, it's your love, it's, it's your uh, commitment to us and your faithfulness to us, Father, that has brought us to this point in our lives and in our journey. And Lord, I thank you for uh, the opportunity that's before all of us now to engage with you and your truth. Your, your word is truth. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And then your Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth. And so I thank you, Father, for helping us connect with and receive uh, your truth uh, in, in the deep parts and the fertile soil of our hearts, Lord. Um, thank you for what you're doing in our lives, but also, Father, thank you for the way you're equipping us uh, to minister to other people uh, some already doing that. Uh, others, Father, will do more and more of it in the future. And so uh, we pray for all of those folks as well tonight. Thank you for helping us tonight. Uh, we're here not just for information, but for revelation, for understanding from your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. You know, you can um, believe something your whole life uh, and it not be true. You ever thought about that? <laughs> you uh, you ever found out like later in life that something you thought was true wasn't? And, and that could be things pertaining to God and the, and the Bible or just general, you know, things in general, you know. Um, and, you know, the other thought along those lines is just because you believe something is true doesn't make it true. And you can believe something's not true and it still be true. <laughs> Praise God. 
So when Jesus says, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, amen, and the truth will make you free. We know that truth is absolute. It's, it's not relative. It doesn't change with time. Facts change, but truth never changes. And I am thankful when I said what I said in the beginning for people who are easy to teach. You know, God's ability to correct us and when I say correct us, you know, I've been wrong before and didn't know that I was. And I don't ever want to be wrong before and think I'm right. Amen. And a huge part of being teachable is to recognize, okay, you know what? I used to think this was the truth, but now I'm finding out that wasn't true at all. But this is the truth. And, and Father's ability to take His Word and, and that process of reconciling our thoughts, reconciling our understanding and bringing into, into alignment with His truth uh, is, is such a powerful thing. And, and listen, we can all, if we're, if we're not careful, we can all be stubborn. You know, we can all insist that what we think and what we say and what we want and what we believe is true. Even if it's not true, we can, we can be stubborn like that. But it's, it's a very beautiful thing when a group of men and women come together uh, with open hearts to hear from the Lord and are correctable. You know, we, we talk about disciplining children. Disciplining a child and punishing a child are not the same thing. The root of discipline is disciple, right? So when we talk about disciplining a child, we're talking about discipling a child or training a child. Now, in the course of training a child, sometimes you do have to use some form of punishment, okay? Um, but punishing a child and disciplining a child are not, are not the same thing. And you don't spoil a child by being good to a child. A lot of people say, you're going to spoil her. You know, if, no, no. See, what spoils a child is, is when you never correct a child. Okay? And so the Bible says that, you know, we are God's children, and He desires to correct us. Now, religion takes God's correction and God's discipline you know, to these extremes, you know, God, you know, sending tornadoes through your town to teach you and punish you and all this other stuff. That's, that's, I don't even go down that road, but that's just bogus, okay? Um, but notice now we equate teaching and correction and, and, and discipline as punishment. And what we got to understand is that Father God is the Father of our spirits. Amen. And, and He wants to teach us from the inside out. And so that's why receiving His Word, remember we talked about the antivirus software, how, how the, it goes into a computer, it identifies what what's, needs to be uh, corrected, right? It identifies what's broken, what's wrong, needs to be corrected, and corrects it. And God's Word is that way. Um, because we, we are designed to live from the inside out, Father God knows that if He can get the inward part of us right, the outward part will follow suit. And so the inward part, uh, the Bible calls the inward man, male and female created he them, so person, inward person, okay, um, is both our spirit and our soul. That's the inward part of you. As a matter of fact, your heart, uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about the heart, does it not? The heart is the cardia in the Greek. That's K-A-R-D-I-A. Anybody want to take a wild guess at what English word we get from that one? It's pretty, pretty obvious, cardiac, okay? But the cardia in the Greek is speaking of, it's kind of wordy, but just hear me out, the totality 
of the immaterial man. Okay. So the totality of the immaterial man, what does that mean? The totality of the immaterial man is, is every part of you that's not matter, that's not physical. Okay. So our body is matter, it's physical. But you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. So the heart of a person is the tandem or the combination of both the spirit and the soul. Both the spirit and the soul. And as we've already covered and we'll cover in much greater detail in the days ahead, it'll be first of the year after Christmas, okay? Father God has solved with, of course, the work of Jesus, what He did for you and me as you and me. He has resolved the, the spirit part. He has literally re uh, we've been reborn, amen, uh, created anew in Christ Jesus at the spirit level of our being. But then that, that other part of our heart is the soul. It's, it's the mind, uh, the emotions, and the will, the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, emotes, and the part of you that makes choices. And that's the part, right? That's the real focus. That's the real target of discipleship, if you will, our thinking. It's bringing our thinking into alignment with our born-again spirit. So a natural person, according to the Scripture, is someone who's never been born again. They sin by reason of course, and the things of God are foolishness to them. But then we see there's a carnal person. A carnal person, according to Scripture, is a man or a woman who has been born again, spirit, been made new, been made one with God, but still, for the most part, thinks like someone who has not been. But then you've got a spiritual person. And a spiritual person, again, according to Scripture, is someone who has been born again and for the most part is learning to think like someone who's been born again, bringing our thoughts into alignment with our born-again spirit. So if we go all the way back to where we started, and again, I know some of you weren't here for that, and that's why I try to weave some of that in as we go along. One of the, my favorite definitions for discipleship that the Lord ever gave to me is this one. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we became something through the new birth that we weren't before, that spirit, okay? But now our soul, if you will, the part of us that thinks, feels, and chooses is playing catch up. And I don't mean like red stuff out of a bottle. I mean catching up with what's already, let me say it a simpler way. Our thinking is, is catching up with what's already been uh, accomplished and established in us at the spirit level of our existence. And so this is why it comes back to, this is why it's so important that we are correctable, that, that we are teachable, that, that we come to God with the attitude that, you know, listen, I'm thankful for what I know, but I'm not gonna let what I know keep me from learning what I need to know. And if there's something that I believe to be true that's not true, or that's not exactly true, because that's one of the ways the devil is able to lie to people and then believe it is he tries to put as much truth in a lie as possible and it still be a lie. So if there are areas that we're not looking at things correctly, remember repentance is the Greek combo word metanous in the original language, meta meaning change in condition, nous meaning mind. So true repentance involves an inward changing of the mind that translates into an outward uh, change in behavior. If you were raised in church like me and, and this was never explained to you, I'm not blaming any pastor or teacher that I had, but the way I understood repentance was stop sinning. You know, turn around, you're going the wrong way, turn around, go this way, don't go that way, go this way. But 
what we see in Scripture is that thinking is the underlying um, uh, factor, if you will, the cause, if you will, of the outward behavior effect. Meaning if we, if we never change how we think, we'll never effectively change how we live. Even though <laughs> we've been born again and, and made one with God and, and not only are going to heaven, but are already seated with Him in heavenly places according to Ephesians 2. So, I said all that to say to be correctable. The Bible says that if any man, any person thinks they know anything, they know nothing yet as they ought to know it. And that knowledge has a tendency to puff us up. You know, you, you, can, you can start learning some stuff and, 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 and getting jazzed about it. But if you're not careful, Satan will just kind of give you a big shove uh, over into pride and arrogance. So puffed up's like being, being prideful, being, being arrogant. Um, but love builds up. And so that's why anytime we speak the Word of God to someone, the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love. And as important as the truth is, if we can't speak the truth in love, we are misrepresenting the truth. We're, we're misre misrepresenting Jesus. Amen. Now, we all need people in our lives. We all need people in our lives who love us enough to tell us the truth. Amen. That's, that's one of the important roles or assignments for a pastor is to not just tell people what they think they want to hear or what people want to hear, but to tell them the truth and love them enough to tell them the truth. And, and because, again, if, if, we don't, if we don't have the truth, we're just wasting our time. You follow what I'm saying? If, we, if, if, if we're just here to, uh, you know, talk about the weather or, or talk about sports or what have you. Well, again, we can do that anywhere. Uh, but it's the truth that we're after and, and then a willingness to allow that truth to correct us where we may be wrong in our thinking. Amen? All right. Now, tonight, let's, um, we'll do just a brief, brief review. Um, we're we're going to talk about the word of His power and then heaven's plural. And last week, we looked at um, the Word of God, of course, we've covered this many times. The Word of God is what? Living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay, But then last week, we looked at Hebrews 5. That's Hebrews 4 and 12. And then you go to Hebrews 5 and 13, where we see this group of people who've been in church and been saved for a long time, but they're still as spiritual babies. They haven't grown. They haven't developed. They haven't matured. And they need milk instead of... Uh, you know, a meal that would help them grow and develop and mature, right? And where God wants to take you, milk is, is not going to strengthen and fortify you enough to get you there. You're going to have to have the meat of the Word. And again, that requires more effort to prepare and serve, and it requires more effort to ingest and, and digest and incorporate in, into your system. Uh, and so these folks had just remained as babies, even though they had been born again perhaps for decades. And that, but there was one key word in there that the Holy Spirit emphasized, and that's the word skill. He didn't say they had no knowledge of the word. He said they had no skill. And so the difference is what? In the doing, right? The difference is in the doing. And so we went through the Scriptures and we looked at various things the Word of God is. And if you remember this list, we said the Word of God is seed, the Word of God is light, the Word of God is a sword, the Word of God is a fire, and the Word of God is a hammer, come on now, that breaks the rocks into pieces. 
So perhaps the easiest one to connect with would be sword and then maybe seed. But if the word of God is a sword, and it is, then how do we swing a word sword? We swing it by speaking. We swing it by speaking it. So when you speak the word of God skillfully and appropriately, it literally becomes a spiritual weapon that you can use against the forces of darkness. And that is extremely important because we see all of these uh, various pieces of spiritual armor that we've been given. And by the way, you put on the helmet of salvation by remembering and not forgetting what the Bible says about salvation and what's true about you. Sometimes, and listen, I'm not trying to make light of this. I think anytime we confess the Word of God, it's important. But, you know, people take this very good care to like, okay, now I put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Now I put on the belt of truth. Now I put on the shoes of peace. And, and, and all that's good. But just imagining that you have those things on is, is really not what the Scriptures are talking about there. Uh, to put on the breastplate of righteousness, again, a piece of armor that protects, uh, you know, your core, um, your vital organs, amen. So a key piece in any uh, set of armor. The way you put on the breastplate of righteousness is by knowing and understanding and confessing and believing and acknowledging and considering that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? How do we practically put these things on? We put them on by understanding what they are and our minds being renewed to the fact that we're right before God in the eyes of God because we were made that by the blood of Jesus. Whew, starting to get wound up here now. Amen. It, okay, so this is how we practically put these things on. I'm not here to teach on that tonight, but the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the offensive weapon. All the other ones are to protect you from the fiery darts of the enemy. So, for example, when the devil shoots an arrow at you that says, um, you're a loser, you're no good, you're an addict, you're this, you're that, um, and he shoots it right at your, you know, uh, I keep calling this core. Would somebody else help? What's, a, what's another term for this target? Torso. Torso, that's, yeah, that's, uh, amen. Um, anyway, vital organs, okay. Uh, when, you know, so how, how do we pre prevent that? Uh, fiery dart of accusation, lie, and shame, and guilt, and condemnation from penetrating and, and affecting us and wounding us is if, if we keep that breastplate of righteousness on, meaning we know who we are in Christ and we know the righteousness that we've been given and made, right, then that arrow of, because it's not a literal arrow, right? It's, it's thoughts that the enemy in, in word form, in other words, he's trying to fight you with words, you've got to fight him back with words. Amen. Amen. So again, mind, but notice now, you think on something long enough, it gives way to action. So you swing the Word of God by speaking. You plant the Word of God by speaking. You bring light into a situation from the Word of God by speaking. You uh, motivate and inspire and, and ignite even revival uh, by the Word of God in speaking. And then the hammer, uh, you crush things, break things, chip away at things. Again, how do we swing the hammer? If the Word of God is a hammer, how do we swing it? by speaking. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and uh, verses 1 through 3. I hope you become very familiar with these particular passages. They are uh, key to what we'll be talking about um, tonight, hopefully for the, you know, get through a lot of this tonight. So God, who at various times in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, this is speaking of the elders in, in Israel and how uh, God communicated uh, to them uh, 
and, and gave instructions and messages and warnings, uh, directions, what have you, to them, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, and that literally means in the person of His Son, whom He's appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. So Jesus was present when this world was created who being the brightness of His glory, Jesus is the brightness of glory, the express image of His person. Remember I gave you the example last week of, that, of the manual typewriter when the arm strikes the page, it, it imprints the page and leaves a mark on the page. It leaves an express image on the page. So Jesus is that uh, for God to you and me. He's the express image of the person of God. And you could also think personality of God. And upholding all things by the word of His power. So that's the phrase right there. Uh, because this section, among other things, and we've covered a lot of stuff in this section of our teaching together, we've, we're, we've talked, we're talking about the word of God, the word of reconciliation, this, this living, powerful gift that we've been given both uh, for our own uh, benefit and, and blessing, but also so that we might effectively, correctly, rightly divide it and then skillfully apply it, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of other people. All right. So when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so we emphasized last week that the prophet of the Old Testament was like a mouthpiece for God but that the personality of the prophet was not necessarily the personality of God. And then it says, in these last days, Father God is speaking to us in the person of His Son. We then went to John 1 and 18. Anybody remember this? This is so important here, man. This is life-changing. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. And we said declare means to make known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. And we, we could talk a lot right there. Um, just main thing is Jesus left nothing out. Okay. So many times I think people are waiting for the other shoe to drop. Or we gave that example of you know, this whole idea of good cop, bad cop, or good God, bad God. And it's like you know, Jesus is the, is the nice, kind uh, part of God, but Father's the heavy hand just waiting for us to mess up and punish us. Punish us and nothing can be further from the truth. That's why Jesus is perfect theology. If you can't find it in the life of Jesus, if you can't back it up by something in the life of Jesus, then perhaps you're believing something about God that's not true. Amen. Go back to the opening part of our class tonight. Amen. All right. So, uh, uh, so I like to just put that definition in here. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. I think one of the last things that we, um, we ended with last week was you know, we talked about all these things that Jesus did, um, but yet we only have a sampling of His um, miracles and the things that He taught in, in the Scriptures. And I believe He taught the same things a lot. For example, we know that when he came to Nazareth and, he, Nazareth and read uh, from the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. You know, read that whole portion. The Bible says that that was his custom. In other words, he had been doing that throughout the synagogues, all throughout the, the region. So, you know, they, there was no, you know, cassette tapes and there's no, you know, Jesus, <laughs> all the, even like the printed page 
was um, ridiculously expensive and hard to come by uh, in those days. So it's not like Jesus had a newsletter or a blog or a podcast <laughs> or, you know, any of these things. And so, you know, everywhere he would go, I think he would preach the same basic things over and over again. But, but then it comes to the miracles. John said, the Holy Spirit through, through John said that if everything was written down that Jesus did in the three years of ministry that he had on this, on this earth, there wouldn't be room enough to contain the volumes. So this elevates then what we have recorded in the scriptures. And that, that tells you that each one of these particular encounters and, and, and conversations, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, okay? But we have the one that was recorded in, in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, extremely important. We have the one that was recorded with Jesus and the woman at the well, extremely important. Um, we also see... You know, uh, the woman with the issue of blood and, uh, and Jairus' daughter, that kind of miracle combo that went together right there, that's in all four of the Gospels. So study it, read it. Amen. Like in one version, I don't, I don't recall right now which ones, but like one we find out that it was his daughter, another one we find out that she was young, then another version, you know, another account from a different Gospel writer, we find out she was 12. Okay, so each one of these accounts of the same miracle. And we have... Therefore, more details about that particular set of miracles than many of the others. So I'm just, again, look for, as you're studying the, uh, the four Gospels, look for the nature of Jesus. Look for His kindness. Look for His um, uh, mercy. Look, look for uh, His wisdom. And there's because all of these things are meant to be a representative, uh, an express image uh, of a God Himself. That's why we see in John 14, 9, um, when Jesus said uh, to Philip, I've been, have I been with you so long you've not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, let's go back to this part where it talks about in this verse, the word of His power. The word of His power. Sometimes... Um, I preached a sermon, a series of sermons. I mention this because should you, you know, if you ever want to go back and look at some of these things, they're all archived on our website and podcasts and, the, and these things. But I, I preached a series of sermons on restoring precision. Restoring precision. Um, sometimes we get real loose with things that pertain to God. And, and we shouldn't because it's going to cost us. Because God is, is very exact and He's very precise. And, and so one example of this would be I'm hoping and praying. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to hope and pray. It tells you to believe and pray. Well, you know what I mean, Pastor Martin. Now, see, again, that's an example of getting a little too loose with things. Hope is one thing. Faith is one thing. Love is another thing. These three are very important. But when we confuse uh, one with the other... Uh, it's, it's, it's undermining their effectiveness. It's undermining God's ability to produce results in our lives. And one of the areas years ago when I was preaching, I would interchange the word of His power, and I would say it sometimes, the power of His word. The word of His power, or I would say the power of His word, as if those two things were interchangeable and, and, and communicated the same thought. They do not. It's not incorrect to say the power of God's word. 
But that's not what he's talking about in Hebrews uh, chapter 1. He's talking about, and he said it and means what he said, he said the word of his power. So how are we to understand this? In other words, if, if it's, um, ah, praise God. Another example would be where Jesus certainly instructed us to, uh, you know, take responsibility for and watch out what we hear, what we allow into the ear gate of our mind, okay? But then he also told us to take heed, be careful how you hear. So what you hear is important, but then Jesus goes down a completely different road, related but different, that we should be aware of, of how we hear things, meaning the filter through which um, the things we listen to passes. All right, now, that's a whole other story in and of itself, but when we talk about the, the word of his power uh, as opposed to the power of his word, we're talking about something very strategic and very specific that um, he's wanting us to recognize and understand. And so here is the simplest way that I know how to explain this to you. The word of God's power is, is explaining to us that God's words, stay with me now, God's words are the conduit, the conduit, the pipeline. Conduit's like a, 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 a means of delivery. God's words are the conduit through which His power flows. Okay, that's very important. God's words are the conduit through which His power flows. Now, an orator can speak powerful words. Um, every time I read that one statement from my notes, my mind immediately goes to like a, a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and his ability to speak powerful words that, uh, that moved people. And that's important, don't misunderstand me. But that's not what this means. It's more than that. God's power, so let me say it a different way. God's power is conveyed through his words. Anybody understand how a conveyor belt works? A conveyor belt, you put a package or a box here on the belt and it conveys it to another part in the warehouse. It conveys it to uh, the next station that it needs to be processed or it may convey it to a location where it needs to be loaded onto a truck. So when we say the word of his power, he's, he's teaching us something very important and that is his power is conveyed from himself to you and me, from himself, to uh, situations, circumstances that need to be changed, his power is, is released from himself to these situations through the means of, the conduit of, the conveyor belt of his words. Now, again, the word of God is what? Living, Hebrews 4 and 12, and somebody say it now. It's powerful, right? Y'all did know that, okay? I was just thinking really hard, really deep on me? Okay. All right. So the Word of God is living and powerful. Now, let me give you a very simple and beautiful example of, of what this means or, or how this works. Psalm 107 and verse number 20. It says this, He sent His Word and what? And healed them. He sent His Word and healed them and so it's a comma and he sent his word and delivered them from their destructions. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. So he's talking about destructions that came as a result of some attack or some uh, door that was left open or what have you from the enemy. 
But how did God bring them out of the situation? How did God deliver them from the, the problems and, and things being destroyed all around them? How did God bring healing to their physical bodies? He sent His Word. He sent His Word and He healed them. Yes, Kim. Yes. It's the... Amen. Amen. And so when you've got somebody that needs healing, you know, you need to pray that. That's one of the prayers. Speak the word. What does the word say? But see, this goes back to let's let's kind of tie some classes together, right? What does the word say? That's the most important question we can ever ask about anything and everything that has to do with us. Okay. What does the word say? Right? So if we don't know what it says, then you know, how can we ever speak it? Effectively, but now the the next layer of that is being able to uh, rightly divide it and skillfully apply it. So if if someone is, let's say, somebody comes to you who's dealing with some sadness in their lives, uh, maybe some depression in their lives, okay, then to rightly divide the Word of God to help that person, you probably would not want to go to the writings of Solomon when he was really. Uh, uh, fed up with life and talking about it was all a cruel joke and not worth living. Right. Duh. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Um, but what do we want to be able to speak into, into those people's lives, right? We want to be able to speak peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. We want to be able to speak joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There's, as it, that's, that's the difference between um, speaking the word and speaking a, a rightly divided and skillfully applied word. All right. So Proverbs 4 and 22, it says, For they are life, speaking of the Word of God, they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. You know, I don't know if you take vitamins or not. There's a big debate that's been going on for years and years and years whether or not vitamins are, are actually doing any good or not. I'm not here to, to open that can of worms. But let me tell you what is good for you and your body and your physical well-being. It's the Word of God. It has life-giving properties in the Word of God. When you take the Word of God into your being, amen, it's spiritual. But remember, life springs forth from inside of us, out of us. And so the Word of God in you is not just good for your spirit. It's not, it is good for your spirit, but it's not only good for your spirit. It's, it's good for your mind, yes, for your, your emotions, yes, uh, for your choices, yes. But the same Word of God that will benefit you spiritually and mentally and emotionally, it will also benefit you uh, physically in the sense that it will be and is health to all your flesh. Come on now, that's a good one right there. So Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So notice again, when the word of God concerning salvation is spoken to people, faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God, the Word of God activates the faith that measure of faith that God's put in them. Where does the power for someone to be born again come from? It comes from the Word of His power. In other words, His Word conveys 
not just the truth about salvation. That's important. They've got to hear that. It conveys not just the message, let's say it that way, of salvation. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down tonight? It not only conveys the message of salvation, but it also conveys, it also brings to the scene, to that person, the power of God necessary to produce salvation in their lives. Do you see why the devil never wants you to read the Bible? I mean, are you, you see why he never wants you to know anything about it and look at it as a boring book? And Man, he is such a liar. Don't let him trick you and deceive you. Amen. All right. So the power to do what God says is in the word that he speaks. And I, I like to think of it this way. If you couldn't do it before he spoke to you, you certainly can do it after he does. In other words, if God instructs you to do something, the, that, those instructions, his words to you, will convey His power to you and into you to do what it is that He has instructed you to do. Now, I want to give you these same verses, but this time, and it's quite wordy, but it's, it's I think, worth more than worth uh, our time, worthy of our time. And this is those same uh, verses, three verses from the Amplified Version of the Bible. And it says this, In many separate revelations. So again, a revelation is not just the end of the book. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revealing of Him in a way that we had not seen previously. And remember, God revealing Himself to man is progressive throughout the Scripture. So in many separate unveilings, that word revelation, if that's throwing you, in, in many separate uh, revealings of in many separate revelations, each of which, each of which set forth a portion of the truth. Set forth a portion of the truth. 650 names of God, or is it not, not 950 names of God? So each one of those, a, a portion of the truth about God and who He is. And in different ways, so in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways, God spoke of old to our forefathers in and by the prophets. Okay, verse 2. But in these, but in the last of these days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. Come on now. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Listen to this now. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine, and He is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty, by His mighty word of power. When He had, by offering Himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, He sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Wow, some bedrock verses for our faith right there. Now, because we're here to talk about the word of his power tonight, there's a thousand things we could you know, spend the rest of this year and most of next year in our time together talking about just different things that are mentioned in these verses. Some of this we'll circle back around to. What we're here tonight, we're talking about, anybody remember the word of his power? And notice what he says here now. Uh, and I'll, I'll highlight this or, or, or divide this off and segment it. Upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling 
the universe by his mighty word of power. Sometimes we don't think about the universe being upheld, but it is being upheld. How much does the universe weigh? <laughs> but it's being upheld. It's also being maintained. Anybody ever tried to maintain a, just a two-bedroom house? You know, One-bedroom apartment, right? There's a lot of, <laughs> come on, there's a lot of maintenance involved. In, 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 in anything that's, that's, that's physical or, or natural. And yet we see that not only does he uphold it, he maintains it. And then we see that the universe is also now being guided. Being guided. Wow, we're going to talk about that part in just a moment. And propelled. The universe is in motion. In, in the same way that our uh, earth uh, revolves around the sun. If, if you pull back and, and, and you see the arms of the Milky Way, our galaxy is, is also uh, in motion. So let me, um, sometimes I skip over this, but I, I think I want to take the time to do it tonight. Can we do it? Y'all good? Okay. All right. I want to just, what's the point? All right. Let, let's, I want to go back to this now. What's the point? I'm trying to show you the power. The devil never wants you to understand the power that's in the Word of God, that His Word is the Word of His power, and that when you speak His Word, you are creating a, a conveyor belt. You are creating a conduit, a pipeline, if you will, through which the power of God can flow into a situation, into a person's heart. Jesus said, believe in your heart and do not doubt and speak to that mountain and it will be cast into yonder sea. So the, 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 speaking the Word of God and, and, and by faith can move mountains and obstacles out of your way. Amen. Amen. Speak the word. It can bring healing. There's, there's life-giving health properties in the word of God. And so one of the things that we've been talking about in the main service here on Wednesday nights is that Adam lost his confidence. Adam lost his confidence. Now, I try to, if y'all figured it out by now, I try to take the things from the scriptures and make them not change them, but to make them practical and understandable. And of course, what we see is that when he sinned, he hid from God because he was ashamed. And because he was ashamed, the Bible says he was afraid. And so it's very easy just to say, you know, fear and talk about fear. But what that looks like on a practical level is that, is that Adam, before he sinned, he knew where he stood with God. Now that he sinned, he doesn't know where he stands anymore. And so he's, shame has come in. He knows that he's done wrong. He doesn't know how God's going to respond. And so he's lost his standing, and he's, now he's lost his confidence. He's lost his confidence with God. Okay? You ever, had, you ever tried to have a, a, a relationship with someone who's insecure? Man, it's so hard. It's so hard, right? So that would be another way we say he lost his confidence. Adam, Adam went for, from secure in his relationship with God to insecure in his relationship, in his standing with, I should say better, fellowship, standing with God. Okay? Um, and, and so that has continued since that moment. And, and even amongst people who've been born again, who've been made one with God, who've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, the devil never wants you to see yourself as someone who's been made right before God in the eyes of God. He never, because as, as you begin to understand that, as your mind begins to, to be renewed to that and trans, your life's transformed by that, Guess what's being restored to you? Confidence in your standing with God. 
see, when we don't when we don't understand our standing with God, it affects even the way we pray. We start praying real timid prayers. We start like trying to apologize for even asking. And then, and then we start trying to negotiate with God. Look, God, if you just do this for me. All, all of that, again, is screaming insecurity. It's screaming that you don't understand, you don't know your standing, and that you don't have any confidence. Now, we could talk about faith, and we could talk about fear, but if I change those words to trust and confidence uh, and uh, fear to losing your confidence, I think it makes it a little easier for us to, to relate to it on a practical, you know, street level, so to speak, in our lives. And, and so even when it comes, and so what we're ultimately heading towards, and we'll get to some of the things that we're, all, we're talking about there as part of this class as well. Um, Satan doesn't want you to be confident in your salvation. Let me say it another way. He never wants you to be secure in your standing with God. As long as you're insecure in it. The Bible says it this way. The righteous are bold as a lion. Jesus invited us to come timidly, cowardly, bashfully, shamefully to the throne of grace. No, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Then you get the other side of that where people talk about, I'm going to storm the gates of heaven. So you, 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 don't, you don't have to storm the gates. It's like storm. I'm going to storm the front door of my house. No, you, you, you can storm it. Just You're welcome there. You're welcome there. Amen. You're, but notice now, insecurity, lack of confidence, that, that translates from Adam's sin all, all the way down to, to you and me tonight if we don't outgrow that. If we don't outgrow that, right? So what, what we're talking about now is the Word of God and just how powerful it is. And we're going to go big, and we're going to go big scale, okay? Um, but when I say we're going to go there, we're just going to tie on to what the Scriptures are already saying. Again, upholding, maintaining, guiding, and propelling the universe by His mighty Word of power. All right, so let me, let me start with a picture here. And that's a... That's a picture of the earth. That little blue ring around it is the, uh, the firmament, if you will, the, the atmosphere uh, surrounding the earth. And we know, of course, that once we break through that, we break free from the earth's gravitational pull. But that, that band, that firmament, if you will, uh, maintains the perfect uh, balance of oxygen, at least on earth level. Now you can go up in high elevations in the earth and, and the air gets thinner, okay? But, but let's just say sea level, right? The exact, watch this now, not just ratio of oxygen that we need, but the air pressure. See, there, there's, there's air pressure, which makes it easier for you to breathe. If you've ever been at really high elevations, you, you, it's twofold. It's not just that there's less oxygen in the air, it's that there's less air pressure pushing air into you when you, you know, to assist you in breathing. Did you know that? Amen. So, so there's a fine balance that literally is on a razor's edge uh, that if it was off just, you know, a, a microscopic amount either way, this planet would like all the others. It would be gray. Uh, it would not be blue and green and sustain life, all right? But then we see that little ball, and if you're wondering what that is, you probably figured it out by now. That's the moon. That's the moon. And we know that the moon turns once 
on its axis every 27.3 days. So by turning on its axis, what we mean by that is if the, uh, if the uh, moon is a baseball uh, and you ran a, a stick through it, okay, it would turn around that stick like this, but it turns slowly. It, it, it takes 27.3 days, not 27.4, not 27.2, 27.3 days for the moon to go all the way around one time on its axis. Now for years, for years, and sometimes I set people up by asking them, does the moon turn on its axis? And I get a mixed bag of answers, but I've, I have never failed to get someone who shouted out, and I'm not trying to trick you, but shouted out, no, that it doesn't. And for years, we didn't think it did. Because every time we would see the moon in its different phases and cycles, it was the same. And so the assumption was that the earth, I'm sorry, that the, that the moon that orbits the earth um, is, is, is stationary. But now we know the truth, and the truth is that the moon turns once on its axis every 27.3 days. The reason we see the, the moon looks the same every time we see it is because at the same time, the moon makes one complete trip around the earth, guess what, every 27.3 days. So its rotation on its axis and its orbit around the earth are synchronized perfectly, right? Which, you know, we take for granted that that's just what moons do, but we know better, amen, that, that, that you know, some planets have multiple moons, and if our singular moon, um, if, if its rotation was different from its orbit, it would cause the Earth to wobble, right? So let me show you uh, another photograph now, okay? So here we have a, a bigger perspective of um, the moon orbiting uh, around the earth while it rotates on its axis once every 27.3 days. And if you notice, we have the blue arrow through the center of the earth, and the earth is tilted slightly uh, to, the, to the side. And it's the um, gravitational pull uh, of, the, of the moon, the weight of the moon, the centrifugal force, if you will, of the moon, that is pulling the earth slightly over uh, on, on that angle, all right? Are you seeing this? So do you see now why if, if, there were, if these things weren't synchronized, uh, it would not only cause the earth to wobble, but again, we think it's not that big a deal. It would be cataclysmic. We couldn't survive on um, this planet, all right? Now, um, <clears throat> let's go even bigger scope now because we've got uh, an earth with a moon that's rotating on its axis and orbiting the earth every 27.3 days. You following along at home? Y'all still with me? Is, it, would you also, is this boring? I don't want to bore you. This stuff fascinates me, dude. This stuff just jazzes me. People are going to try to tell me there's not a God. All right, so watch this now. I get stirred up about it, okay? All right, so the earth, notice it's kind of tilted slightly because that's the moon. So now you've got, you've got a third factor, and that's while the moon is turning on its axis and orbiting around the earth, the earth is rotating on its axis and orbiting around the sun. Okay, got a lot of moving parts here on a very, very large scale. Now, the earth, 
You probably know these answers. The earth turns once on its axis every 24 hours, right? So 24 hours, the earth goes all the way around. That's a big difference, right? Moon's just 27.3 days. If the earth turned that slowly, I don't know, would we all fall off? I don't know. But anyway, praise God. It wouldn't work. Let's just say that, okay? So the earth turns once on its axis every 24 hours. Now, this is a little bit hard to calculate, but imagine for a moment that you're suspended in outer space over the equator with a radar gun, and you're trying to figure out how fast the earth is spinning, okay? So what the calculations tell us, the size of the earth and it being able to turn all the way around one time on its axis, the earth then must spin at precisely, precisely, not about, exactly, are you ready for it? 1,070 miles an hour. 1,070 miles an hour. Man, if God were to hit the brakes, it would certainly sling us all off. I mean, I'm telling you, we, we're moving, dude. I mean, we, we, are, we are on the move, all right? But now I'm not finished because the earth travels once around the sun every 365 days and just a little bit of change, okay? All right. So the earth travels once around the sun every 365 days, and it's a long trip. It is a long, long trip, all right? In order to make the trip, the earth is traveling, brace yourself, 67,000 miles an hour. Ladies and gentlemen, we are on a giant dirt clod spinning on its axis at 1,000 miles an hour, hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour around a sun, amen, around a sun that, I mean, if you stay out too long in front of it on a summer day, it will blister you, okay? Amen. And what is that sun, 93 million miles away from us? Wow. Now, at 67,000 miles per hour, if the earth slowed its trip around the sun by just 1%, it would come up short 244,550 miles every year. And if any of this varied in the slightest, life would not be possible on this planet. Okay? Now, I have some questions. Where's the engine? Do you understand what I mean by this? I mean, what, I mean, how many gallons per mile does the engine get to move this earth around the sun 67,000 miles an hour? There's no engine. What's propelling it? What's guiding it? What's maintaining it? What's keeping it upheld? Are you, so we just take it for granted. You know, it's like, well, I mean, you know, dude, the earth just goes around the sun. What's the big deal? Well, <laughs> if it's going this way, what keeps it from going this way? Are you, are you, are you understand what I'm saying? All, all of these things uh, are exact. exact. They are precise. And any one of them off by the slightest percentage means life's not possible here. And there are multiple, multiple, multiple factors involved in the science that I just tried to explain to you. Now, Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. 
By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. Anybody remember the Scripture? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture uh, given by inspiration of God means all Scripture was God-breathed. Remember we said God cannot speak without releasing breath. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So let's take a minute here. Let's look at what these words mean. Uphold. Go back on that one. Somebody say, hold on a minute. Okay, I apologize. Let's go back. I can go back. I can go back. I have a reverse. Probably a good spot for us to take a breath anyway. Am I? I don't think I am, but I just I'm, I'm looking for just a little grunt or amen or Baptist nod or something. Amen. You know, when you when you see these things, and this idea that it just all exploded and and randomly fell into place, and you know, so like, is there some giant wind blowing it all around? And what what what's what is the energy? Right, that the the power, so to speak, that's moving this. I the um, I flew um, to Kenya, uh, and it's a long, long flight. And the pilot, you know, the pilot usually tells you what time you'll land. Okay, and they have, I mean, they have you know gyroscopes and GPS and satellites and all this other stuff. But even then, he could not give us, on that long of a flight, he could not give us a precise time that, that we would arrive because winds can change. A tailwind may get you there early. A headwind may get you there late. You know, so, so we're talking about an, uh, uh, something like, I mean, an airplane's big, but compared to the universe, it's a speck, right? With, with all this computer, uh, you know, sophisticated computer uh, machinery and, and satellite technology and all these other things, you know, they, they can't even tell you exactly how long it's going to take to fly from here to there. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make? Um, we're talking about something on a, on a massive scale. We're, we're talking about an orbit with a radius of, um, what is it, 187 million miles? I mean, again, you just, it, it boggles the mind. So why would he include this in here? Why would he give us you know, this verse? It's because he's wanting you and me to understand that the word of God that we have is, is, is powerful, big time powerful. Amen. So uphold, let's go, let's go back to it now. Uphold means to support or keep elevated. Okay, so that's pretty clear. Maintain means to keep in an existing state, to preserve from falling, to defend against opposition or danger. All right, so that's maintain. Guide steadies and directs the motion of. And propel is a force that imparts motion to move forward and onward. So the word of his power upholds, maintains, guides, and propels the universe. Okay, are you ready for this? If the Word of God, the Word of His power, can handle these on a universe-sized scale, then imagine what it can do in your life. 
In other words, if, if it can move planets forward and keep them on course, reckon the Word of God can move us forward and keep us on course. If, if the Word of God can uphold a galaxy, reckon it can uphold and support you and me? Do you, are, you, are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? Praise God. If, if it can keep, if it can keep a, a moon uh, around the earth every 27.3 days as it turns on its axis every 27.3 days, if it can keep it in, in an existing state, can He keep you saved? Can He keep you from falling? Can he, can he defend you against opposition, the Word of God against opposition or danger? Well, absolutely, I believe that He can. All right. Now, let's, uh, let's break this down a little further here, praise God. Mark chapter 4 and verses 26 and 27. I'm going to show you another version of this. Smaller scale, but still big scale. And He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And should do what? Sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. So what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about a farmer planting seed. The Word of God is seed. And he says that when the farmer puts the seed in the ground, that he then does what? He basically goes to bed. Now, why does the farmer go to sleep after he planted the seed? The farmer goes to sleep after he planted the seed and rests because the farmer knows that he just participated in something much bigger than himself. The farmer knows that he just engaged a process that he doesn't fully understand, that is still in a lot of ways, even after all that we understand about agriculture today, there is still a, 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 an amount of mystery involved in how you can put a seed in dirt and the potential that's in that seed be released. The water, the sun, obviously are, are key factors in these things. Okay, But there's still a mystery even associated with that. But the farmer knows, and he has, see, that's back to confidence. That's back to confidence. If the farmer has no confidence, right, he's probably going to have fitful sleep. If he sleeps at all, the next morning he's going to go out there and he's going to dig up that seed and see if anything happened. Are you, hey man, am I being too silly for you? I'm just trying to show you. He's going to go dig, because he doesn't have any confidence in this. No, he sleeps because he's confident. He's confident in a process that he doesn't fully understand but he knows is bigger than himself. And watch this now. He knows it works. He knows that it produces results. Now, I'm going to be a little bit silly here. The Bible says that God gives, God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He gives you seed to plant and he gives you bread to eat. Can you imagine like, you know, farmer, let's, let's go kind of old school, obviously modern technology and all this other stuff, right? But, you know, where they, you know... Just one generation removed from my family. If they didn't, if they didn't grow food, they went hungry, if, if not starved, okay? Um, and so thank God for all the modern conveniences. But, but, you know, my mom and dad, you know, their family, certainly their family's family, okay? So let's, let's go back to it now. Um, the mistake a lot of people are making, and some of you heard me say this before, is they look at everything God gives them, they look, they look at everything that God gives to them as being bread, See, listen, everything that God gives you, there's a portion of it that's seed and there's a portion of it that's bread. In other words, there's a portion of it that you need to plant, you need to give, you need to sow, and there's a portion of it that you need to consume, uh, you know, eat, uh, enjoy for yourself. If a farmer eats all of his corn one season and then it's time to plant the next season and he ate all of his corn, there's nothing left, there's nothing to plant, right? 
Okay? But now, watch this. Let's just say that you come from another planet. Uh, I'm, I'm being, again, a little bit silly, but I'm just trying to show you. You don't understand anything about planting and all this other stuff, because that's not how they do it on the planet you're from. And you, and you watch a farmer, and you think, why is that farmer taking food that he could feed his family with and going out in his backyard and burying it? Right? It's just such a waste. See, this is, but this is the mindset that a lot of people have when it comes to sowing financial seed into the, into the soil of God's kingdom is, is that they think it's a funeral. You know, they mourn over it. They grieve over it as they, as they bury their money. And, and see, we think that, that God's trying to teach us how to live with less in all of His instructions about giving. That is not what He's trying to do. He's trying to teach you His ways of having more. If you give sparingly, He says you will reap sparingly. But if you give bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Jesus says give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen. The world has so infiltrated and, and so uh, influenced uh, the church that don't, please don't say amen to this because people do. And, and again, be teachable, but just hear me out, okay? When somebody says you shouldn't give to get, you know, and the people, amen, that's right. No, that's not right. That's like telling a farmer he shouldn't plant expecting to receive a, a harvest in return. Yes, Jesus said give. He said, he, he said honor God with the first fruit of your increase. Give, tithe. So that your barns will be filled with plenty. That's, you, you, but see, the world's infiltrated, influenced the church and the message of the church. And so now somebody says, you know, you shouldn't give to get. And everybody goes, amen, brother. And God's up there like going, well, what? I mean, what's that big guy, Matumbo, that spikes the ball? Yeah, yeah, there you go. He does this right here. I mean, it's like, it's like God's trying to hand you a gift and you just spike it out of His hand. See, the farmer rests because he's not stressed. He's not like, I can't believe I just, my kids are going to go hungry. I just, oh, I'm so nervous. I, I can't believe I went and buried that in the backyard. What in the world am I doing? First, first light, God, I'm going to dig it up. Please forgive me for being so foolish. Forgive me for being so greedy and wanting more corn. No, see, again... But are you hearing me? Right? So the farmer plants and hard, hard work, right? He gets all that done and he sleeps soundly. He's got it in the ground. Praise God, got it in the ground. And I don't even know how it works, but this is what I do know. Amen. That little old kernel of corn is going to bring me a stalk with ears full of corn on it. Amen. All right? Now, watch this. Remember that mystery part. He does not know how. Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verse 11. Then God waved His hand over the earth. Is that what it says? Then God, what did He do? He said. What did God say? He said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. We jump over to Genesis 8.22. God speaking again. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. If you want to pinpoint the engine, if you want to pinpoint 
the GPS, if you want to pinpoint the maintenance department, if you want to pinpoint, right? Because notice, every, all of this that's in here right now involves God speaking to the earth and saying to the earth, you bring forth and yield. And then we see also that these words, what produces seed time and harvest? What produces cold and heat? What produces winter and summer? What produces the seasons? What produces these, the, the changes, right? It's, it's this 187 million mile watch, if you will, because as the, as the moon comes around the earth, it pulls it ever so slightly to the sun, but as it goes around the other side, it causes the earth to drift ever so slightly away from the sun, which the whole process as that whole thing is turning and spinning brings us from spring to summer to fall to winter, which again enables the earth to produce fruit from the seed that are placed within it. All right? Yes, am I going too fast? So what can we understand from this? Well, let, let me back up. <clears throat> if you put a wooden post in the ground, the ground's going to try to grow it because God told the earth to grow, to, to bring forth. That's, what, that's the mystery. Are you with me? That's the, that's the mystery that the farmer doesn't understand. That's the mystery that some of the most educated agriculturists on planet Earth down at Auburn University still can't fully explain. So, well, you know, it's the sun, the water. I said, yeah, but it's, it's so much more than that. Cells dividing and leaves forming and fruit coming. You've heard me say it before. Apples come out of the tree. Apples are in the tree. Crisp, sweet, delicious, juicy, beautiful apples are in the trunk of the tree. And in the right time, that tree pushes those apples out its branches. It comes from the inside of the tree, out of the tree. Fruits in the tree. Seeds in the fruit. Trees in the seed. And there's a God. Amen? Amen. There's a God. So, but all of this was established by His Word. By Him speaking. And now He's given to you and me His Word. So we see then that everything in the created realm is subject to the Word of God. It's subject to the very thing that gave it its existence. That's important right there. If that's over your head, it, it don't make sure it's not over your head for, for long. In other words, remember now, we're growing up into some things here. I'm not here to tell you what you already know. Here to confirm it, affirm it, uh, build on it, whatever. Uh, but I'm also here to stretch you, right? We're growing. We're meat. We're eating meat now. We're not just drinking a bottle. We're eating meat, okay? And, and so, listen now. Again, everything in the created realm is subject to the Word of God. That's why Jesus could speak to, to um, destructive storms and they would obey Him. You say, yeah, but that's because He was Jesus. There's nothing. He was a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He became a man. He emptied Himself of everything that made Him God and He became a man. And what He did on this earth, He did as a man as an example for you and me to learn from and follow. This is why Jesus could walk on water. Because everything in the created realm was subject to the Word of God. This is why Jesus could speak to bread and multiply it and feed thousands of people. Right? Because again, everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. And, and so do you understand a little more now why the devil never wants you to even begin to think these thoughts? 
<laughs> he wants you to think that he's mighty, you're measly, that you're at the mercy of everything going on around you, and that you can't do anything about it, and whatever happens on this earth is God's will anyway. And so, you know, why even pray? Why even bother? You know, this, these are the lies that the devil tells us. It's not true. Not any of it's true. Everything in this created realm is subject to the Word of God. So you see why the devil never wants you to know anything about the Word of God. He never wants you to get the Word of God in your heart. He never wants you to get the Word of God in your mouth. He never wants you to speak the Word of God. He never wants you to swing the sword, swing the hammer, light the fire, shine the light, plant the seed. You remember when Jesus spoke to the fig tree? He said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. <laughs> what happened the next morning when they came by? It was withered, and the Bible says it was dried up from the roots. Dried up from the roots. Amen. He spoke to the root of it. He didn't pour Roundup on it. He didn't, he didn't put stump killer on it. He spoke to it. And if you're wondering what that was all about, it's the greatest faith lesson ever taught because it was a lesson on faith, and it was an object lesson. When the disciples who heard him speak the night before, the evening before, and had no idea what was going on, the next day when they walked past it, they saw it and they freaked out. And in that moment, Jesus says, have faith in God. Because if you speak not just to the fig tree, but to yonder mountain, believe in your heart and do not doubt, tell it to be cast into yonder sea, it will obey you. Amen. We'll get to that in greater detail in the days ahead. Anybody here like figs? Okay. Then let's pause for a moment and thank God that Jesus said, let no human being ever eat another fig on planet earth again. Because if he had said that, guess what? There'd be no more figs. Figs would be like Bigfoot. They'd be like something that was rumored to have existed. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Amen. All right, we're talking... We're talking about the word of his power. Amen. Amen. Anybody in here besides me believe it's 628? What in the world's happened to our time? Let's go to, yes. So legend of the dogwood, keyword there's legend, okay? I don't know that it's 100% true, but the legend is that dogwoods used to be big and massive and um, that Jesus was crucified on a, the tr wood that was used to make the cross that Jesus crucified on was a dogwood, and since then they've, they never get really big, and the leaves kind of look like the places he was pierced and the little point on them all that stuff. So, amen. Again, that's in the book of Hezekiah. Okay, there's no book of Hezekiah. I'm just being silly. Okay. Um, um, or as my brother says, that's in the book of Jambalaya. Okay. It's, that's the third chapter of Jambalaya. Okay. Um, but nonetheless, it's a cool story. Uh, I... I I have no, uh, somebody may know more about it than I do, but, you know, I think there is some proof of it, but amen. Praise God. All right. Great question. Isaiah 55. Let's go there, please. Isaiah 55. We've got a few more minutes. Oh, are you getting anything out of tonight? This, so, so it's different, right? Every, every, all these classes are different. And, you know, last week we just kind of fell in this rhythm and we just, you know, we just went through all kinds of stuff. So, um, I don't want to overwhelm you, but I do want you to realize that the Word of God is living and powerful. The Word of God is living and powerful. What Sister Kim was talking about is that angels hearken. We'll get to this in, in, a, in another section of teaching. But the Bible says that angels hearken to the voice of God's Word. You are the voice of His Word here on planet Earth. And watch this now. They hasten to perform it. 
they hasten to perform it. So when you speak the word of God, ministering spirits sent forth to God from God to minister for the heirs of salvation, in other words, minister on your behalf, they respond to the word of God and they hasten, they, that means they go quickly. Uh, they don't wait around. They go quickly to perform the word of God in your life, to make sure that word of God is protected, to make sure that word of God hits its target. Because, again, the word of his power is saying that his words convey his power to a person's life, to a situation, to a circumstance, to a problem, to an issue. Send his word and healed them. Send his word and healed them. I've said that I've said it so many times. I'm going to say it one more time because the devil don't want me to say it. The devil never wants you to understand the power that's in the Word of God. Amen. He never wants you to understand that. He never wants you to know what it is. He never wants you to consider it. He never wants you to ask the question, what does the Word say? All right. Now, let's go to Isaiah 55. And um, we're going to look at about 11, I don't know, about five or six verses here. So let's, uh, let's get to it. Isaiah 55, 6 through 11, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will occasionally pardon. Is that what it says? No, he will abundantly pardon. And he's abundantly pardoned. Then God begins to explain. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Let's talk about this first group of verses while they're uh, here on the screen. And let's start with seek the Lord while he may be found. We know from Hebrews 11 and 6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. And he who comes to God must believe two things. Must believe that God is. All right, and that's pretty obvious. I mean, if you don't believe that God is, then you're not you know, likely to come to him. You must believe that he is. But now listen to this next one. And you must believe must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you going after God is important to God. According to your longing to understand, truth is revealed to you. God's wisdom is uh, made known to you in your life. And so here he says, seek the Lord. But notice he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let me comment on that for just a moment. In one sense, God can always be found, okay? And God can always, you know, again, if you want to find God, just get somewhere and start worshiping him and he inhabits the praises of his people. You know, so he's not hard to find. He's not hard to find, okay? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, people who say he's, not, he's hard to find aren't really looking for him, all right? God's not hard to find. He's right here. But what I think we do need to understand from this is that there are different moments in our lives where he is, how do I say this? It's not about him. It's about us, right? It's about the attitudes of our hearts. Um, I used to hear at the end of a lot of sermons uh, this idea that, you know, if you're not saved, you could walk out the front door of this church and get hit by a truck and you'd bust hell wide open, you know, you'd go to hell, you know, so you'd go, whoa, you know. And, and I used to think, you know, as a little kid, I used to think, man, does that really happen? I mean, do people like, like walk out of church, you know, looking for a Taco Bell and get run over by a truck? You know, I'm like, I'm like, I mean, I, I'm sure it probably has, okay? But now watch this, okay, God, because, again, I'm not here to manipulate anybody, all right? 
This, this is the reality. If, if you were here tonight, I believe everybody here is born again. But if you were here tonight, you're not born again, all right? Um, I don't encourage you to roll the dice, but there's a pretty good chance that, you know, you'll have another opportunity later tonight, first thing in the morning, tomorrow afternoon, all right? But what's the danger of that? What's the danger of that? Two things. Number one, you will never have this opportunity to respond to God ever again if you let it go by, okay? But we also see that when God is dealing with us and we resist Him, it rubs a little thicker callus on our hearts, which means it's more difficult for Him to get our attention the next time, which means we've become a little more desensitized to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit, which means it makes it easier for us to say no to Him. And so the devil would love for us to just think about, okay, well, I'll, I'll take my chances on that Mack truck. I'll look both ways for I cross the road, right? Without ever really understanding that when we say no to the opportunities that God has for us. So when he says, seek him while he may be found, call upon him while he's near. You're in a very unique season of your life right now. For a lot of you, listen to me please, for a lot of you, seeking the Lord has never been easier or more convenient than it is right now. In the days ahead, your life will become more complicated again, with more responsibilities, with more things to care for, with more things to look after, which means finding uh, two hours on a Wednesday afternoon might be more challenging. Okay, So... Instead of using these verses in some kind of threatening way, I would rather use them to encourage you to take advantage of the season that you're in right now in your life because he's easy to find. He's easy to find right now. When you get out in the world and you've got all kinds of people, all kinds of voices, you know, fighting for your dollar, fighting for your attention, fighting for your time, amen, uh, it seems like the Lord's hard to find. seems like He's not near. He's still there. He's still easy to find. It just becomes harder on our part. Amen? Amen? Okay. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is not the only place in the Old Testament that we see this important connection, but it makes it very plain as the rest of these verses unfold. And the connection that I'm referring to here is the connection between the way a man or a woman thinks and the way a man or a woman behaves. Okay? So notice he doesn't just say, let the wicked forsake his way. Let the wicked turn away from the wicked things he or she is doing. But he's also saying that we have to forsake, we have to turn away from the way we're thinking. Because if we don't, let the Holy Spirit change the way we think, we will never be able to effectively or long-term or permanently change the way we live or the way we behave. There's a very powerful connection. Very powerful connection. Guard your heart above all else, for from it springs forth the issues of life. So what's in that cardia that we started the class with tonight talking about, what's in that cardia is where the issues of our life spring forth from. And so I'm not saying the Bible means this exactly, but again, to make it relatable, you know, we may say, man, that brother's got issues. That sister got issues. All right. So those issues, though, in life that we're trying to deal with and want to see resolved are coming from a place inside of us, okay, coming from our heart. 
So let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then God says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay? Now, oh, praise the name of the living God. We're out of time. Um, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. Come on now, stay with me for just a couple more minutes. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Okay, so we'll pick it up here next week, but let me, let me just get this part out, and then we'll reinforce it and, and dig deeper into it next week. All right. A lot of people look at these verses as, you know, kind of not all shucks, you know. If, if, you know, God's saying my ways are not your ways because my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we think that God's kind of just diagnosing this unresolvable dilemma. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is I created you to live on a higher level but you will never consistently live on a higher level until you think on a higher level, right? So how can we think on a higher level? How can we think like God thinks? You were created to think like God thinks. You were created in the image and likeness of God to, to look like God looks and to function the way God functions. How could you ever function the way God functions if you can't think the way God thinks? So how can we think like God thinks? He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Just like rain falls from the heavens to the earth and water it, so shall my word be. Rain comes from a higher place to a lower place. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. How can we bring our ways up to God's ways? Is by bringing our thoughts up to God's thoughts. How can we bring our thoughts up to God's thoughts? God's going to send His thoughts down to us in the form of words. His word. Amen. His word is how He thinks. Learn to think in agreement with the word and you can think like God thinks. Which means you can live like God lives. Amen. All right. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for your blessing. Lord, thank you for abundantly pardoning us, Father. We, we, we need that. And you have given us that and even more in, in, in Jesus, in, in this new covenant that we now live in and under and experience, Father. Thank you for what you have revealed to us this evening. Thank you for the mighty word of your power. Father, if it can do all of those things on such a magnificent scope, Lord, how much more can it benefit us in our, in our lives and in, the, in what we're doing to honor and to please and to serve you? Lord, thank you again in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, amen. amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Good things coming. I'll see some of you in a minute. Some of